Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we always appreciate being included as a part of your day and what a day it is shaping up to be. We're going to talk markets here in just a moment with Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst at Bar Chart. Before we get into segment two with John Baranek of DTN Weather, planting is coming into focus. John's going to give us some outlook on what to expect here later this week. And then we're in segment three. We're going to check in with Brian Ernest. He's the lead economist for animal protein over at CoBank. And we're going to talk through some of the fundamentals here in this beef market that is moving right now. Well, joining us to get things started here is Darren Newsom, senior analyst over at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks as always for joining us today. Oh, appreciate you having me on again this week, Mike. We're going to talk through a couple of different things. I want to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on the gold market. I want to get your thoughts on what's happening in soybeans. But Darren, in a record-setting environment, which is where we are here in the cattle market, I want to get mm-hmm. your take. Last week, we saw cash scream even higher. April is coming off the board later this week. What's your expectation for the cash live, or excuse me, futures live cattle market this week? Yeah, it's interesting. What we saw at the end of last week was cash in the South reported at 175 to 177. And we had the April futures contract go off the board, uh, not go off the board, but close last Friday at that 174.75. So this would tell me that we should see continued strength in the, in the April contract. And if April's going to stay strong, June may want to follow it. From a technical point of view, we saw all these reversals. It doesn't matter. And, and this is from a technical analyst. It doesn't, you know, chart patterns don't matter when fundamentals take over. Big going back to the rule, fundamentals win in the end. Certainly seems to be playing out in cattle. Certainly looks like there's some room to the upside still. It certainly does. We'll talk through some of the fundamentals for that with Brian Ernest here in just a little bit. But Darren, while we've got you on the line, we're talking about how charts look and -hmm. and the technical read of them. And I wanted to bring our attention back to the metals markets. We've seen gold come under extreme attention as we had the inflationary pressures build, as we had the banking crisis. Let's talk through what has happened in that market. Darren, for the last three months, what's the gold market been doing? Yeah, it is interesting because, again, if, if we go back to the long term charts, we saw gold post a bullish reversal. And let's look at the cash index. So the uh, the cash index for gold. Uh, that's what I usually like to look at in any markets at the cash index. And it posted a bullish reversal, a bullish key reversal in November. And this told us that the long term trend had turned up. And so, you know, it all fits with the larger economic cycle. We've already seen uh, the bond prices turn up. We saw U.S. stock markets turn up in uh, in October of 2022. So, you know, the general rule is bonds turn up, then stocks turn up, then commodities turn up. And so in the commodity sector, we've got three kings of commodities with gold, crude oil and corn. Gold was the first one to turn higher. Crude oil and corn still showing downtrends. That doesn't mean they'll stay that way forever. Uh, but corn, excuse me, but gold did turn uh, into an uptrend, a long-term uptrend this last November. And now it's in position to be testing its previous double top up around 2070. Uh, if that, and that dates back to, oh, when was that? That goes back to August 2020. And then we hit it again uh, in March 2022. So we're in position for the for the spot month contract to eventually, excuse me, for the cash contract 
to eventually, sooner rather than later, test that high. Darren, from a technical market perspective, you mentioned we're close to retesting potentially a triple top here in the gold market. Mm -hmm. From a technical trader's perspective, what does a triple top mean for a market? It's, it's very, I mean, really, this is one of the more simplistic looks at it, and it doesn't necessarily hold true, but it's one of the old sayings. Uh, it's one of the original sayings you learned. It's triple or triples are taken out. Double tops tend to hold, triples are taken out. So if we get back up to within shouting distance and say, get in that 2065 to 2070 range on the cash gold market, more than likely it's going to take it out. Now, what's going to be some of the fundamentals that drive this? Of course, there is continued problems around the world. So gold still be looked at as a safe haven market. The dollar is expected to weaken. Again, its long-term trend is down. There's talk that we could, we could see the Fed start to lower rates later this summer and if that does that kicks the we that kicks the legs out from underneath the dollar again uh, and so that puts some fundamental pressure on the greenback so it we could have some of these fundamental reasons for gold to go ahead and push through that 2070 and then you know we're just into clear air there's no guessing how there's no guessing how high it might want to go after that who clear air uncharted territory if the gold can push over that triple top darren i want to turn the focus over to the grain markets here you talk about buying interest coming back into the commodities we're seeing that develop today in soybeans has there been any fundamental news here that's moved the soybean market particularly that old crop it's really interesting in that we we really haven't seen much of anything and the, what we, you know, we've had all of the rolling from May to July, both commercial and non-commercial and so on. And unfortunately, that brings the always comical August contract into play. But as we look at the as we look at the market this morning, we've got a strong double digit rally in old crop beans. What this continues to tell me, what these future spreads in the old crop market continue to tell me is that the Brazilian crop was not as large as expected. All of the rain at harvest took the top off that market. And world buyers are still coming to the U.S. door. We aren't seeing a lot of sales right now, and that's the key. We've got to see sales start to pick up. Basis remains strong, so we're moving some soybeans. We just need to see our sales pick up, and it certainly looks like uh, if it's not on the sales side, it's on the crush side that's pushing this market higher, that we continue to tighten up U uh, the U.S. supply and demand situation. Well, Darren, on the crush side, if I recall correctly, later today, we've got the uh, NOPA crush report coming out. Do you expect to see that crush trend continue to stay strong? I do. Uh, you know, if we look at what soybean meal has been doing and soybean oil has been doing uh, and the soybean market itself, I, I do look for continued strength in the crush market. And then we, I, you know, we have to take into account, you know, Argentina's crop got got uh, got hurt pretty bad by by weather this year as well. And so it just it again, it opens the door for the U.S. to play a bigger role in global exports. We haven't seen a lot of it yet, but I think we will. And if so, we're going to be crushing more soybeans. All right. We'll watch for those report that that report later on today, Darren. Before we let you go, I want to turn our focus over to the wheat market. We continue to get reports on that Kansas City wheat crop struggling throughout the plains. We heard about it last week here on the show, and yet the market is still selling hard wheat, uh, hard red wheat down nine to eleven cents today. Are we close to a bottom on this? Where do you think this KC wheat's going to go? <laughs> I've been bullish the wheat market and I've, I've said so and and I really thought it would have bounced by now but what we have to look at there was some rain over parts of Kansas this past weekend yes the south the south, southwest corner missed out but the heart of the wheat growing area central and south south central Kansas did get some precipitation so 
it's no surprise that we do have the July Kansas City under pressure. We know that there's still problems with the crop. We can see that again in the July SEP, SEP future spreads. I do think the low is in the July Kansas City market. Now we just have to find the buyers and they just seem to be on the sidelines at this point. Well, we'll watch, see if they can stick their hands in the air and take some wheat home, folks. We've been talking today with Darren Newsom, senior analyst over at Bar Chart. And Darren, as always, we appreciate you joining us and sharing your insight with us here on AOA. Thanks again for having me on, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We're going to bring that focus back to weather in the next segment. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us. We'll talk about what happened over the weekend and what to expect in the week ahead. Stay here for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. 
Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, if you're on social media and you follow some ag Twitter, ag social media folks, this is the time of year we start to see some real differences in conditions across the country as spring hits at different times for everybody. And this past weekend saw some more volatile weather, saw some moisture fall from the sky, and it looks like it's going to be active for the week ahead. Joining us now for an update on the forecast is meteorologist John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks as always for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. Good to talk to you. Before we get into the week ahead, John, we saw another wild weather weekend here this past weekend. I know we had some severe weather and some rain over Kansas. Can you fill us in? Did we get much in the drought territory? Yeah. So, I mean, well, all of last week was just a wild weather week. I mean, we had 90s all the way up into Minnesota, and then it crashed all the way back down to the 30s, and we got some snow. Um, yeah, that system that went through was 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 a big game changer in terms of uh, the weather. So, so we got a nice week of uh, crop progress and planning done. And then uh, that kind of came to an abrupt halt. We did see some uh, precipitation over Kansas. I heard Darren talking about it. Uh, a lot of that was kind of the Eastern half of Kansas though. Um, so not a whole lot of that drought territory really got in on much. Um, but I mean, there were some blotches of some pretty heavy rainfall there in Eastern Kansas, Southeast Nebraska. Uh, some more than from uh, Illinois down into Texas, and that's where we saw some severe weather move through. Uh, we saw kind of a, a big event, lots of hail, lots of wind, only a few tornadoes, but there was a, kind of around the uh, uh, St. Louis metro area. So um, there was some, you know, a little bit of damage uh, in terms of that. Um, and, you know, we continued to see uh, the precipitation really move across the East Coast there over the, the rest of the weekend. And, um, you know, the eastern half of the country got you know, is blotchy and it was patchy, but uh, for the most part, got some pretty decent rainfall out of it. Well, John, and I understand that moisture continues in its various forms here on Monday. That uh, storm system that moved across the Dakotas and Minnesota today, I understand it's taking aim at Wisconsin. What do they have to look forward to across the Badger State? Yeah, I got uh, two inches myself here southwest of Minneapolis, uh, but we had about four or five inches across a good portion of Minnesota. But there's a band that really set up there across kind of west, western uh, Wisconsin, where we've seen already reports of 12 to 20 inches of snow out of it. So just a huge um, uh, event here for, for these folks where everything had warmed up. Just two days prior, it was in the 80s, and now they got you know almost two feet of snow. Um, this system is, continues to wrap up around the Great Lakes. We'll continue to see snow falling from that spot in western uh, Wisconsin all the way through Michigan. And kind of even northern portions of Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio getting in on some of this as well. So um, that's, you know, unfortunate. You don't want to see snow this time of year. Um, but it only lasts for today, and it'll be kind of uh, diminishing uh, tonight and tomorrow. Um, we warm up at least a little bit, uh, but we'll be below normal here for, for a lot of folks for the next couple of days. Uh, but then we get the, the next series of systems moving through. We're already starting to see it move into the Pacific Northwest with a, a little bit of shower activity, nothing too major. But this is going to move through the country here this week with several rounds of precipitation moving through. 
and just enough cold air yet again to produce some snow. Um, hopefully it's just across the northern areas that, you know, are used to it kind of this, this time of year anyway, North Dakota, northern Minnesota. Um, but there has been kind of a couple ideas of trying to get a third wave of it coming towards the weekend that might have some snow across the, uh, the southern half of the Midwest. I don't know if I trust that uh, at this range at all, but, you know, it just goes to show we, we've got another burst of cold air moving in uh, behind the system. And I think that's the more concerning part of this whole thing. You know, we saw a little bit of frosty conditions uh, behind the system this weekend uh, across the Western Plains, yeah, just kind of briefly touching freezing. But, you know, behind this system coming up, uh, we could see some temperatures early next week, like kind of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, hitting below freezing there across the eastern half of the Midwest. Uh, I don't think it'll impact corn and soybeans too much that were planted because um, they would just be emerging. And overall, I don't think that's a, a huge concern. But for some of these wheat areas, if you get repeated days below freezing there, kind of rapidly succession in a row, that could be a little bit concerning. So something to, to look at for next week. Absolutely, John. Okay, so we've got this system coming through, making its way into the Pacific Northwest today over Tuesday into Wednesday. Does that system develop any severe risks across the midsection of the country, or is it just going to be gentle rain? No, it looks like, you know, it's, it is a spring storm system, and it, it should have some thunderstorms with it. Uh, this time of year, you can almost guarantee that if you've got some decent thunderstorms, you're going to get some severe weather. So uh, Tuesday, I'm not so sure we get much uh, in terms of severe weather. There may be some areas kind of around eastern Kansas um, and southeast Nebraska that uh, that may pick up a little bit of severe weather. Um, and Wednesday, we might kind of move that up into to Iowa and kind of the surrounding areas there. Uh, but Thursday is kind of the bigger day, and the Storm Prediction Center really has uh, uh, an area kind of around the, the mid-Mississippi River Valley, um, kind of from St. Louis south, where both for, for Thursday and then Friday, farther south um, of, of a bigger risk of severe weather. We'll have to see how that all plays out, but uh, everything kind of appears to be coming together for, for a pretty decent event. All right. Continue to keep your eye on that, folks. John, up in the Red River Valley of the North, we've talked a lot about the snowfall, the snow totals they've had. There was concern that this rapid warm-up was going to lead to some intensifying flood risks. With this longer-range forecast showing cooler temps, can we can we take some of the flood risk off the uh, off the radar? A little bit, and we've kind of lucked out too that the soils were super dry and you know relatively warm when that snow kind of fell. So a lot of this is just soaking right in. Um, we still have seen some flooding there around Fargo on the Red River, um, and that looks like it's going to traverse itself northward here throughout the week. Um, even though temperatures are below normal, I mean, even below normal temperatures are still in the 40s um, for highs. So we're going to still see that snow melting off. Uh, we saw some more significant flooding kind of up towards Duluth um, and and uh, towards Lake Superior. There's some of those uh, rivers kind of flowing into the Lake Superior were, were pretty uh, significant. Um, so, I mean, it's, we're still going to be dealing with a little bit of this. Um, but I think I think you're right w with the with the kind of cooler temperatures moving through. Uh, it'll limit the the speed of the the rest of the the snow melting. Um, you know, but we are adding precipitation to it this week too. So there's a kind of a lot going into kind of what the flood risk might be. Um, still, it's still an issue, but, but hopefully it won't be too major, but I know a lot of these people just want the snow gone so we can get, get spring started and get out into the fields. Um, it's probably going to be a little bit hard to do here for the next uh, couple of weeks. 
Yeah, it sounds like it is, John. While we're talking about the Northern Plains here, let's look a little bit farther north. We've got acreage questions here in this country, but we've also got acreage questions about what's going to go on the ground in Canada. I know you've recently looked at the Canadian Prairie's weather outlook. How's it going to be for those growers up north? Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of the drought across the Northern Plains kind of disappear with all the heavy snowpack and everything uh, that went on over the winter. Um, in Canada, the drought really hasn't gone away too much. It's still sticking around. There's a lot of dry soil up there, so they, they're going to need some rain, uh, hopefully rain and not snow, um, over the next couple of weeks. So they really start getting to planting here. Um, I know a lot of folks like to go early here in April, um, and that just doesn't really look like it's going to happen with how cold it is cool it's going to be here over the next couple of weeks and and um, they may end up with a lot more snowfall there north of the border uh, than we will get here um, later this week so um, you know there's there's very big concerns about when the folks will start getting out into the fields um, but you know as we head into El Nino and we, we kind of get to a more stable pattern um, for the summertime you know summertime precipitation should end up being you know what we expect here on the normal side now uh, that might not be enough to get rid of the drought and so uh, that antecedent drought might be uh, a big player here this year uh, especially those areas that might get missed um, several times over uh, by some of these thunderstorm clusters and everything moving through but uh, overall you know i, th I th there, there are some concerns about that drought kind of just sticking around but but if uh, the precipitation is all right for most areas of, of the uh, of the region there it should end up okay all right. We'll see. Could see some acreage shifting take take place there north of the border. John, while we've got you, let's go down to the South America, Brazil. That safrina crop is in the ground. What's the forecast look like to be able to get that crop across the finish line? Yeah. So, I mean, normally this is the time of year when we see those wet season rains diminishing, and they certainly have. But uh, we see the transition over to systems moving through to providing rain instead. And um, we've already, we've had several of those coming through. We've got another one here this week. There's a kind of a stalled out front across South Central Brazil, producing some pretty good showers. See that kind of drift northward here the rest of this week, but it does get drier behind that. So um, whether or not that's enough to kind of, kind of push the crop into or through pollination, um, for some folks, I'm sure it is, but for others, it might not be. So we'll have to keep watching to see if we get more of these uh, systems moving through into at least uh, early May. Um, for central Brazil, that's hard to do because they're so close to the equator. But for southern Brazil, uh, we might see some some of these still popping up. So we'll, we'll have to keep our eyes on it. It'll be something to watch. But uh, for the most part, uh, everything's been kind of almost smooth sailing once they finally got the crop into the ground. All right, folks, we'll keep an eye on what develops in South America and weather-wise across the country with, our, with help from John Baranek, meteorologist at DTN Weather. John, thanks so much for joining us today. And always good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Folks, stay with us when AOA returns. We'll talk cattle fundamentals with Brian Ernest, lead economist for protein at CoBank. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Rising domestic corn basis levels along with the prospect that Ukraine grain shipments could slow dramatically and a cooler and wetter forecast for the coming two weeks supported corn overnight. It has retreated just a little bit here. Russia has put forward additional demands ahead of the expiration of the current Black Sea Grain Initiative on May 18th. And both Poland and Hungary have banned Ukraine grain imports temporarily to protect local farmers. Now, adding to the recent bullish price trend is the stepped-up demand from China, who is rumored to be replacing some previously bought Ukraine corn with U.S. supplies and a still-falling Argentine corn crop. Now, there are hints from private crop analysts that the ultimate corn crop in Argentina could slide by as much as 5 to 6 million metric tons more from the current USDA estimate of 37 million metric tons. Weather in the U.S. features lower temps and above normal precipitation in much of the Corn Belt for the next few weeks. Heavy snow is falling in the Great Lakes with more headed for Minnesota, Wisconsin, and parts of the Dakotas. In central Brazil, while some beneficial showers are falling, that forecast will turn dry into May. Right now, though, Brazil is still on track to reach record production of nearly 125 million metric tons. July corn has moved sideways for the past 15 trading days, while new crop December remains in a bearish trend just above key support at $5.50. Soybeans are trading higher for the third time in the past four days, supported by firmer soy meal and oil prices to begin this new week here. Malaysian palm oil futures rose nearly 2% today, supported by a sharp drop in Indonesia's palm oil stocks and news that Malaysia's March palm stocks are down more than 21% from the previous month. Although domestic crush margins have fallen sharply from a few months ago, the interior U.S. basis remains very firm with word that central Illinois bids are still very strong at more than 60 over July futures. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're focusing on the record 
setting market moves that are happening in the cattle business right now. We're going to talk through animal protein big picture next with Brian Ernest. He's the lead economist for animal protein over at Cobank. Keeps up to speed on the factors that are moving, not just in the beef market, but also in pork and in poultry. Brian covers it all. Brian, thanks so much for joining us here on AOA today. Good morning, Mike. Nice speaking with you. Always a pleasure, Brian. I think we are going to spend some time today talking about the cattle markets. I love that rally that's happening there. But before we do, I think we ought to take a step back and get a big picture outlook of animal protein writ large here in the country. Can you speak to us a little bit about the trends that you're seeing across the animal protein sector broadly? Yeah, I think, um, you know, just kind of looking at how the year started out for animal protein um, overall, um, from a production standpoint, things ended 2022 in a rather robust uh, picture. You know, um, when, when looking at total meat and poultry supply, um, you know, hit some record-type numbers again, and, and that really set us up for a situation uh, in the first quarter where we saw some pressure on, on meat and poultry prices in general. Um, and thinking about that during that time frame, we've got a lot of retailers and food service entities uh, starting to think about what they want to do to present an offering to uh, consumers this year. Um, and really kind of, you know, the, the big picture, uh, you know, subject has been around inflation, uh, how to combat that with the consumer. And for the most part, when I look at it, um, you know, overall through the first quarter, it seems like animal protein has kind of set itself up to be uh, maybe an inflation buster in certain different areas, thinking about um, you know what what folks are able to uh, accomplish in terms of uh, working with their budget this year. So you know overall, from a supply standpoint, things things looking pretty good uh, position there. All right. That's good to hear. Things are in a position, a good position supply-wise. But Brian, we've always got to talk about price. Food prices over the, well, since COVID have certainly been a headline-grabbing item. Price acceleration across the animal protein area. Are we starting to see it slow down? Looks like it is a little bit. In terms of inflation overall, the CPI numbers, um, you know, through the first quarter, we were sitting somewhere between 6 and 8% for all meat, which includes uh, things like eggs, which were high, you know, had saw a high price environment. Um, but other areas like red meat and, and poultry, um, you know, those items actually seeing some some of those prices coming down a little bit year over year. Um, so from that perspective, uh, you know, it, it sets itself up to lend itself to some areas, uh, maybe uh, you know, benefiting a little bit more than others. Um, and in terms of what what consumers are seeing, so those prices, um, you know, overall still a high price environment. But uh, like you said, it, it does look like maybe we're turning the corner a little bit in terms of cooling off and uh, in, in, in what the you know what's showing up at re retail at least. All right, Brian. Well, let's let's dig into these different sectors of animal protein here. Let's start with the cattle market, Brian. We're seeing that rally accelerate. We're seeing consumers face higher prices in the meat cases that choice box beef value continues to climb. Do we have any indication that consumers are, are getting close to being maxed out on beef prices or do you feel like there's room to run? What I'm seeing, I kind of look at some of the demand indicators, and um, it does show that there's, you know, at least a little bit of, of detriment has occurred there um, to start out the year. Maybe folks are, you know, they're they're looking at it a little bit more closely from from a beef perspective. But I don't necessarily think 
things are going to fall apart. Um, you know, and, and part of that is just, uh, you know, where we are seeing um, some easing supply metrics. To start out the year, uh, beef production set about in line with where it was a year ago uh, in the three-year three average, but it's, it's trended, um, it, you know, south of year-ago levels and, and those three-year averages since then. Um, so, you know, overall, there's a deficit there in terms of supply. You're seeing the run-up in cattle prices as a result, and more recently, uh, the cutout value has has been screaming higher here in those last last two three weeks. Uh, prior to that, it was relatively flat, though. I mean, it you know it didn't really seem like it was gaining a lot of traction, um, but overall, it, it does seem like spring has sprung in certain areas of the country, and um, uh, you know, at, at food service and retail, uh, folks are, are getting taking taking that targeted approach at beef and making sure they get uh, supply assurance there. They certainly are, Brian. And April, of course, this is when we do see the seasonal supplies typically in the beef market. Do you have an estimation or a handle on just how different the seasonality could be this year as we get into a grilling season with this type's fundamental supply out there in the beef market? Are we going to see the the summer highs potentially delayed out of April or are we living through them now? You know that's a good question, um, and, and certainly I, I, you know, I look at some of the various different analysts out there, and, and their their estimates of uh, what we're going to see from a price point. Um, you know, it, it, it's, we've seen it in the past that you know uh, high prices are taken care of by higher prices, and um, sometimes that's the case. Uh, overall, there's a limited supply of cattle available, and um, that really I think will continue to play into uh, what works into the market here near term. Um, certainly, as we get into the summer months, uh, you know, there's there's going to be some reactions to this market as it continues to heat up, though. It will, and we'll see consumers going into those meat cases facing tougher decisions with how to spend that food dollar. Because, Brian, while we're talking a lot about the beef industry, we also have the pork industry and the poultry industry that are both running along. And let's talk a little bit about what's developing here in hogs. Have we seen China stay out effectively of the large-scale American pork import business? That has been the case really in 2022, right? They kind of shied away, um, and uh, for the most part, it didn't really feel like, seem like uh, you know China was leaning more on, on global pork supplies or hog supplies. They, uh, they, they found more of their needs sufficed by domestic supply. Uh, more recently, though, I think um, the discovery of African swine fever there again uh, really has, has kind of bolstered pork supplies in, in China. Um, looking at the weekly export numbers, they've still been very strong, or they have been, again, very strong for U.S. pork exporters, though. Um, and, and, and China appears to be one of those strong destinations again. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, overall right now, it, it would suggest that, you know, maybe we'd see a little bit of support, but it's not lending itself to hogs these days uh, or, or pork in general. Um, and overall, you know, while we're seeing very strong conditions from a beef cattle standpoint, uh, the other side of the red meat spectrum, pork just really has has um, has stumbled to start out the year. So um, overall, I, I think, you know, in my mind, that sets itself up to be or lend itself to be uh, a very strong value proposition for the U.S. consumers here. Uh, and, and anecdotally, in my local market here, I am seeing quite a few deals on, on pork show up, which uh, for me, very inviting, you know, to, to put that in the fridge. 
It certainly is. Can't go wrong with a good thick cut pork chop. Brian, you did mention the return of African swine fever into China. This is something we've heard in-country veterinarians talk about uh, intermittently over the past several months, but I don't have a good sense of the spread. Do you feel that the meat industry has a decent idea of what's happening in China with regard to African swine fever, or are they keeping a lid on it? I do think that's very difficult to, to try and, uh, you know, decipher. Um, and even the last time we saw a widespread outbreak, it was kind of difficult to, to put a target on the number of, of uh, what the, the greater impact would be there. Overall, the expectation, though, really is that um, some of the producers there in China probably are trying to get ahead of, uh, you know, those outbreaks and, and make sure that they're, they're moving hogs through the market system while they can still get some value as the market deteriorates there. Uh, in the back half of the year, that maybe opens up some opportunity if if we do see a significant reduction in their hog supply there. Um, you know, that probably lends itself to global hog prices, um, you know, maybe at the, the tail end of 2023 or into 2024. Overall, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, difficult to, uh, to put estimations on that or forecast on that right now. Um, uh, but, but I think, uh, you know, for the near term, we would, you know, expect that that's going to be a factor again in 2023. Okay, Brian, with lean hog pricing in the futures market now between $80 and $90 largely in the deferred contracts, is that a price level that you believe the industry would respond by expansion or are the uh, other costs just too high to justify that kind of growth right now for the industry? I'd, I'd say the latter. I, I think, um, you know, this, this sort of support level, um, it, 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 it appears very difficult. Now, um, you know, what, what I kind of looked at with that is maybe four or five years ago before we saw these higher input values, the higher corn, um, uh, you know, other feed inputs, uh, you know, before the run up there, um, you know, likely this would be a level that would be uh, quote unquote acceptable, right? It, it provides a, a decent return. But right now, um, you know, that's, that's still kind of a, um, not necessarily a, a, a great outcome in terms of the hog values. Um, so throughout the value chain as well, um, there's, there's still some, um, uh, you know, some, some disparity from uh, either the, uh, you know, the front end producers or uh, the back end of the chain as well. So I think there's still some, some reluctance there in terms of the, uh, the pork industry in general. Uh, hog producers to advance supplies, and we did see that on the quarterly hogs and pigs report. Um, the one to start out the year showed a 2% reduction, um, and, and the most recent report showed a little bit of a you know moderate increase in terms of overall hog supplies, um, and, and the intentions there therein uh, still showed there's some reluctance to uh, grow overall supplies as well. All right. We'll keep an eye on all of those factors, Brian. And I'm sure you're going to be watching the cash market and the cattle trade this week very closely as it gets deeper into the week, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's, um, it certainly has been uh, <laughs> very fun to watch or, you know, uh, uh, intense to watch. So certainly keep our eyes there. All right, folks, keep your eyes on it. We have been talking to lead economist at Animal Protein at CoBank, Mr. Brian Ernest. And Brian, thanks for joining us today. All right, thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right here when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. You are not your diagnosis. 
A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are the foundation fighting blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Do you know how much one stalk of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you. 
your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We were talking just a moment ago with Brian Ernest, the lead animal analyst for Animal Protein over at CoBank. We're talking about the different trends developing in the animal protein industry. Well, one of the trends we didn't get a chance to discuss was the impact of HPAI on the poultry industry. This is that highly pathogenic avian influenza. We got good news earlier today from the USDA on the pace of HPAI here in the United States. However, we do continue to see it causing global issues to poultry trade. In fact, it was announced over the weekend that Hong Kong's Center for Food Safety has, has announced that they are suspending imports of poultry meat and products. This includes eggs from regions in the UK and Canada. This is following notifications that those two regions, I should say they're not blocking imports from the entire country, just hotspot regions. They will not be allowing those products into Hong Kong. Uh, they did say they've contacted both the British and the Canadian authorities over these issues. They're going to be monitoring them closely and will be taking, quote, appropriate action in response to the development of the situation. That's issue one over in Hong Kong. Issue two is a bringing back of a conversation that was started here about two and a half weeks ago. Ongoing concerns in the poultry industry have led to a resurgence in vaccines, particularly for HPAI. Now, a lot of the times the use of these vaccines can change the way poultry gets graded and classed as it's going into international markets. Some countries say you can't use vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. So the industry as a whole has been very slow to adopt them because they don't want to offend or upset their buyers. But countries are starting to make a move. France is one of the first to have put forward a, van, a mandatory, excuse me, a vaccination plan for poultry on farms against HPAI. The French are targeting this vaccination plan to begin in the fall of 2023, and they are funding an initial order of 80 million doses of vaccine. It's worth noting that in order to vaccinate these birds, you've got to effectively shoot every single one with a shot. So it is a time-consuming process. Another reason vaccination is not been very popular in the poultry industry. It'll be interesting to see how that develops. We did have another piece of news here late last week. Tuesday in China, a 56-year-old woman was uh, actually 
a human fatality of HPAI. Now, the Chinese government notes that this woman reportedly had multiple underlying conditions and a history of exposure to live poultry. She uh, she caught a rare strain of HPAI. This one's called H3N8, and uh, this is the the first person to have been killed by that particular strain. In the United States, however, we've got good news coming from the USDA on bird flu here in this country. Fewer than 900,000 birds in domestic flocks have died due to the highly pathogenic avian influenza so far this year. So looking at data from January 1st, 2023 till April 1st, 2023, only 900,000 900,000 uh, domestic poultry birds have been killed. Ag Undersecretary Jenny Moffitt came out in this report and she said, quote, the lateral spread of HPAI from farm to farm via contaminated equipment and clothing was reduced to 15% of HPAI cases. A year ago, or excuse me, five years ago in the outbreak of 2014-2015, Outbreaks tied to contaminated equipment and clothing totaled 70% of total outbreaks. So biosecurity has been able to reduce the spread of HPAI from 70% to 15%. They do believe the USDA believes that biosecurity measures have improved vastly over commercial flocks here in the past year. And they note that in March, the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service said they have spent more than $670 million to date to contain HPAI and to indemnify owners for the losses in the outgoing, ongoing outbreaks. As in, when a barn has to be culled, those producers can be eligible for some uh, recompensance from the federal government. Total outlays included $414 million in compensation for depopulated birds and eggs, $142 million in hard costs to cull flocks, dispose of dead birds, and activities to kill the virus, and they have spent $114 million so far in personnel and state agreements and field costs. We've got action happening in Washington, D.C. this week. We've got a second attempt at eliminating the Biden administration Biden administration's WOTUS rule. This was the rule the administration passed back in December. It has since been heavily litigated. Recently, an injunction was put into place across 26 different states here in this country in two different case filings. And both the House and the Senate voted on a resolution of disapproval two weeks ago, saying they did not want this rule to go into effect. Congress has that power. If President Biden had signed it, it would have eliminated the Biden-WOTUS rule. However, President Biden late last week did veto that uh, move of uh, censure sort of by the House and Senate. And so this week, the U.S. House is expected to pick up this piece of legislation once again, and they will be voting to overrun, override the veto. Now, it will require a two-thirds majority in order to do that. It does not, ex it is not expected that uh, the two-thirds majority will be there. It might have the closest time to get those number of votes in the House, where Republicans do have a little bit bigger charge. It does not seem likely that it is going to pass the Senate. The WOTUS resolution passed the House 227 to 198. So again, substantial majority, but not a two-thirds. And the vote in the Senate two weeks ago was 53 to 43. Again, not enough to overpower that 
ruling. Interesting piece of news coming out of the heartland of the country. The governors of Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri have announced that they are putting together a partnership in order to seek a $1 billion grant to turn the central part of the U.S. into a green hydrogen hub. The money is coming from the bipartisan infrastructure law. The Uncle Sam said, look, we need to create more hydrogen. We need to create more hydrogen facilities. So they set aside a big pot of money to go into regional plans to try and promote green hydrogen promotion. Now, the governor's just announced this on the 4th. We'll see when it's going to go before the government, and we will be getting more details on this as it moves towards completion. Folks, thanks for tuning in tomorrow. I'll be coming from Washington, D.C. for the NAFB's Washington Watch. Tune in. We'll have lots of conversations about policies that could impact your bottom line. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.